0: Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past... Present and those emerging.
1: You know, maybe this is a blind spot for me. Whatever it is, be it drinking, depression, insomnia, even, you know, not treating people necessarily the way that, that they would like to be treated, you know, because everybody assumes that the things that they're doing are justified.
0: Ben McKelvey is an author of best selling books about other people. At face value, they seem like books about very tough macho people doing very tough macho things. There are lots of soldiers and fighters. There's one woman in the mix. She's Valerie Taylor, the legendary shark whisperer. But never has the old adage, don't judge a book by its cover, been truer than it is with the work of Ben McKelvey. Because his books, are inevitably about the humanity of such brutal scenarios. Ben's an empath, and whether he likes it or not, he tends to draw the kinds of deep, dark truths from his subjects that they didn't even know were hiding inside them. I'm Michelle Laurie, and this is Calm Your Farm. Tips and tricks for taking care of you from the unlikeliest of gurus. Ben McKelvey's new podcast is called A Theory of Mind, And there's a link in our show notes to help you subscribe to it. His latest book is called Mosul, Australia's War Inside the Caliphate. But his first trip to Iraq almost didn't happen. Ben had some very serious health issues in his early 20s, but luckily he also had a particularly adventurous cardiologist. I
1: mean, I had two instances where... You know, I thought my life was going to change in a significant way. The first one was when I had a stroke and had to learn to read and write again and, um, you know, had had relatively significant brain damage in my 20s. And I didn't deal with that particularly well. I was avoidant. I just tried to pretend that it wasn't happening, which is quite often what we do because what we do is (laughs) we have these things that happen to us that are really significant and we just want to go back to the day where that happened, before it happened, and we want to go, oh, we want to be that person again which is the wrong way of looking at it because the right way of looking at it is your life has changed. This is an opportunity for you to be someone different. And I didn't do that with the stroke. But then a couple of years later, I had my heart attack and I had to have some open heart surgery. And that was another instance where I actually thought when that happened that I I was going to die. And then I didn't die. And I did take the right lessons away because I was like, oh no, I have to do something different. No, I have to make my life a little bit different. And that was actually when I did my first embed to go to Iraq because I was I was sort of very activated, I was very politically activated by the invasion of Iraq and I wanted to know more about it and I'd always wanted to be a foreign correspondent and after that heart attack I was like, well I'm going to go to Iraq, I'm just going to go and I went and you know, my, my career changed. It was, it was actually my um, my cardiac surgeon. Because I had this opportunity with the Defence Force and they didn't know that I'd been sick and they're like, go for a pre-deployment briefing, you know, go to this base. And I was like, oh, I'm really thin and really sick. And I went to my surgeon and basically, I was trying to give myself an out because I thought I'd go to my surgeon. My surgeon would be like, are you insane? You shouldn't be doing this. And he's a very he's a very stoic and serious man. And I sat down and he said, oh, you know, how can I help you? And I said, oh, like, I'm, I'm thinking about going to Iraq and these are the circumstances. And he said, uh, is it something you've always wanted to do? And I said, I've always wanted to do it. And he said, well, you know your body is just a subject to being blown up as anyone else's, so if you want to do it, go and do it. I was like, that's a great attitude, I'm going. I started writing books with notable people and then I sort of moved into the military space and have done a couple of books about the Australian Special Forces. And something that has emerged as a theme through my work has been mental health and trauma. I've ended up working with a lot of people who have had to go through very traumatic experiences, either as children or as adults. And in a lot of instances, those people have managed to, to get over those hurdles and they're, they're living good lives. And I think I've, I've learned a little bit about uh, the way that they've done it. I think I've learned less when I've been overseas, working in conflict zones and working in dangerous places. I've learned less there than I have actually sitting down and, and doing these long-form uh, interviews with people. When I do a biography, you sit down and you essentially get someone to tell a continuous story of their life over the span of about a hundred hours sometimes. You know, even with your significant other, even with people in your family, it's very rare that you can actually have a conversation, a continuous conversation that goes on for that amount of time over, you know, obviously weeks and months. And it's, it's kind of a special thing to be able to do because part of its biography, part of it in, inevitably ends up becoming sort of uh, cognitive behavioural therapy as well because a lot of the time you're asking people, why did that happen? And quite often things that happen to people as adults or, or later on in their life, it relates to something that, that had happened to them earlier but they had a disassociation between the two. And that's kind of how we live our lives. You know, there is this idea of type 1 and type 2 thinking, there's this reactive thinking and then this sort of um, this, this thought out thinking. And it's good to sort of force yourself every so often to sort of go back and say, why am I doing this? You'll come up with an answer as to why you did something, but sometimes you won't go as deeply as you, as you possibly could. But when you're working with someone on a book, you have to do that. And that's been really gratifying for me. And I think I've, I've sort of learned a little bit doing that. If you are an empathic person and to do the type of work that I've been doing, you, you have to be an empathic person then you put yourself in the position that this person's been in. And they won't necessarily see that, that their aberrant behavior is because of something that has happened to them previously. And quite often when you walk away, you kind of like, you know, maybe this is a blind spot for me. You know, whatever it is, be it drinking, depression, insomnia, even, you know, not treating people necessarily the way that they would like to be treated, you know. It does force yourself to think. You think about the behaviors that you have, but then when you have this longer view and you do have to have this longer view when you're working with people on biographies, then you think about you know the, the sort of uh, the residual framework that you might have as well. The first book that I did, the first assisted biography that I did was with uh, a guy called Mark Hunt, who is a UFC fighter, who's actually was on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. And when we started working, my assumption was that it was going to be a sort of relatively bog standard sports biography. You know, the guy, he had been the world kickboxing champion. He was a a, a UFC great. I thought there'd be a little bit of, you know, on the tough streets of, of South Auckland and then we'd sort of move into the sporting stuff. But in the early sessions that we did, it became apparent that he came from a house of of extreme abuse, sexual and physical abuse, and that he hadn't spoken to anyone about that except to his wife. And so it was a bit of a crash course working with Mark, but it forged a bond between the two of us, and we're really still close to this day. The book that I did after that was with a guy called Dengadut, who was uh, a Sudanese child soldier who ended up becoming uh, New South Wales Australian of the Year, and and he had uh, a legal practice and he was someone that had fought in a really really brutal civil war when he was very young he'd taken he'd been taken from his home at uh, either six or seven and he'd fought in this war and he'd been injured and he'd been a, a internally displaced person and then he was a displaced person in Kenya for a long time and came to Australia and sort of had to learn the language and teach himself to read and write and his brother was the person who really sort of helped him do all that and then his brother went back to South Sudan and was killed and so Deng and I had the experience of going back and meeting his mum and going to his village and sort of, you know, reconciling some of the memories that he had. Another co-authored book that I did or or a sort of ghostwriting job was with uh, Archie Roach a great inspiration. Deng and Mark were sort of on their journey, whereas, you know, Archie has sort of done the work. You know, he was stolen generation. He was now alcoholic for a long time. He knows who he is and he, he dedicates his life to service, the service of, of Indigenous people and Indigenous rights. And he was someone that was just hugely inspiring. And then, you know, the other books that I've done have been, have been working with um, Australian soldiers and, and the Australian Special Forces. I think my experience was atypical because I had two things that just before lockdown happened to me. One was I got a contract to write a new book about Islamic State, about Australia's response to Islamic State. And the other thing that happened was I went on a date a couple of days before lockdown with somebody who had... I'd had a fling with this woman many, many years ago and she'd gone to L.A. and she was an actor and she'd just come back after, after being in L.A. for 11 years. And I spent lockdown with her and writing this book... And they were, they were actually both very positive experiences because I didn't really want to do anything else. You know, I wanted to spend time with her. I wanted to write this book. I was doing the things that I wanted to do. And I actually kind of, you know, it almost feels grotesque to say that, but I, you know, I enjoyed that all the doors were shut. You know, I enjoyed that we could spend an hour working out together, which is what we did. You know, the the structure of, of the day and everything that was happening, it, it was good for me. I was, you know, I'm cognizant of the fact that it was really difficult for lots of people and there were economic stresses and, you know, there were economic stresses for me as well. I had another job that I lost, but there, there, there were definitely positives to take away.
0: For more tips on taking care of you from the unlikeliest of gurus, including recipes for relaxing body products you can make at home, things to read and watch instead of scrolling through your phone, cheap, cheerful and calming gift ideas, go to calmyourfarm.com.au. We'd love to hear your ideas too. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network.